Yo, welcome to episode two of Critical Thinking Bug Bounty Podcast. On this week's episode, Joel and I are chatting about some new tools to hit the bug bounty scene, exploit writing, and the age-old question of do you have to know how to program to hack? As always, we also walk you through some bug bounty reports, and towards the end, we'll give you some helpful tips from our hacking adventures over the past week. Hope you enjoy. get into this episode i just want to say that intro is amazing and i really want to give a shout out to yt cracker for making that for us because i just hit him up and i was like yo i need a beat and he like drops that in my dms a couple days later so that is some serious fire yeah man i remember when you sent me that i i think like uh, i can't exa- remember exactly what it was but i said something <laughs> like Oh, that is like way too good. <laughs> I yeah, was like, dude, this is this is crazy. <laughs> we, we gotta. I gotta go find that Slack message you sent me and and screenshot it and send it to him because it's like you're like, holy, this that is so good. I'm yeah. totally, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. So huge shout out to YT Kaku. Uh, honestly, I think it like ties everything together. Like every every time, like I try not to listen to the show too much, but like when I when I like do, I just like you know that that little like intro is so like awesome. It's so fitting. Yeah, man, for sure. I, I can't. I mean, I really like our, our episodes that we've released so far, but I even in just editing it, I I cannot hear my own voice, man. It just oh, it gives me cringes. I know it's one, it's one of those things you just got to like, I, maybe it's like when you look at like a photo of yourself when it's like mirrored, you know? It's oh, like, yeah, it looks that's weird totally whack. You just got to get used to it. Yeah, for sure, man. Cool. Dude, how's the uh, how's the live hacking event going for you right now? Oh man, I'm like just starting to like scrape. I, honestly, I've never hacked on this target ever. I've never even looked. I like know like nothing about them. So like I'm like super like it's a weird it's a weird like experience because well for one like I think like anytime you approach like different industries and I'm yeah, gonna it's be a like different very kind generic of here. <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna try and be very generic here. But anytime you approach different industries, especially ones that like you may be like semi familiar with already, mm. it's really interesting to see like the approach from like the other side, right? Like you know, like from their perspective, they're just doing like normal engineering, but right. it's like in like a totally different like universe, right? Than like the type of engineering that like somebody else is doing and i think it's like it's really really cool stuff to like get that kind of like insight and exposure into the, the types of things that we're going to hack on it and, is uh, it is and uh, with, yeah and with a lot of you know with a lot of the products that i use like you said you know with products that you may be familiar with i try to like shut off that that little voice in the back of my head that's like ooh, i wonder how this works on the back end you know <laughs> like because because you don't want to go hacking stuff that you not don't have permission to hack but it always always cool when you get to go after a product that you've used before and kind of get to pull back the curtain. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm pretty stoked. I'm hoping I find some cool stuff. I heard that you found some pretty crazy. Dude, uh, like I normally don't, you know, I, <laughs> I think when I was on Nahamsex stream, uh, was it Nahamsex stream? No, actually, you know what? It was a tweet thread that I did. I, I tweeted something out about like top live hacking event tips or something like that. And one of the tips was like, yo, don't don't look at the chat and look at all the people that are like oh i've got a super crit or like the people that like go in there and go into the um 
you know, the, the questions for the team uh, uh, section and be like, hey, I've got an urgent question for the team, a fire, fire. You know, I, I kind of dissed on those guys. Yeah, just wondering, bit. are there any SSRF sheriffs we can hit? Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, what do I do with this critical report to make sure it gets addressed as soon as possible? You know, um, I always kind of joke on those guys. But but I have to say, Joel, I'm I'm pretty hyped this time because, um, you know, this is not I mean, you you know, the target. Maybe maybe we'll get to release the target at some point. But, you you know, the target. This is not my my stuff. This is not my my forte, this sort of um, uh, target. And we are just over. Uh, no, we're just under 48 hours into this event. And I already have a, have an RCE. Um, so dope. So I'm I'm God super like excited, uh, and it actually fits really well with the with the theme of this episode that I was hoping to talk about. Just kind of like this concept of do you have to know how to code to be a hacker, and what are the pros and cons of knowing how to code to be a hacker? So I've got I've got my I've got my take. I'm interested to hear yours. What What do you think, Joel? Yeah, man. I I mean, for me, this is also like super new. I I would say like of all the like types of like reverse engineering and stuff I've done, like yeah. Windows is one of the least familiar for me. And for so sure. like I'm definitely like like dusting off like old like brain memories and stuff like <laughs> trying to like f remember like how to use stuff and like how to do any of this stuff and I feel like super like slow and like I'm still like figuring out like you know, get my footing, but, um, yeah, man, I'm like, I'm really stoked. Um, I am working with somebody who's, he, he's really talented. So, um, I, yeah. I think we're going to find some cool stuff. We got some interesting things that we're already like looking at and uh, that we want to like sort of product, um, that are a little more low level. I would nice. say nice. So I dig it that. should be, it should be pretty cool. Yeah. The guy you're hacking with, I've worked with him a couple of times. He's, he's really, <laughs> really fun to work with. So yeah, I, I think yeah, you guys awesome. are going to find some, find some awesome stuff this event. So we'll, we'll actually, um, I was thinking about this, Joel, you know, you and I are pretty active in the live hacking event scene. I think probably it's safe to say that this year, either you or I will, you or me, one of those two, will we'll go, <laughs> yeah, we'll go to probably every single live hacking event that, that we have. Um, you know, we'll have at least one of us represented at each one. So I was thinking it could be cool to do a recap episode um, after the live hacking events, because especially in the beginning, when I, uh, I, within my first like four or five live hacking events, I always just like walked around with a with like a notepad and pencil and like was just like taking notes the whole time of like takeaways from that event. And I would love to do something similar to that and then just sort of talk about it on the episode on an episode as much as we can just to give people a peek into the insights that we get from live hacking events yeah yeah dude i think that would be a great idea maybe we could even do some like live interviews or something with some people ah some, nice like, later down that might, that might be cool yeah dude I'm, I'm hoping i'm gonna be able to make it to orlando actually i i have all the tickets booked and everything but my dog is having some health issues right now so i'm uh. not sure if i'm gonna leave him right now or if mariah and i are both going to leave him but he he woke up today feeling a little bit better so i'm hoping hoping things will be all right that's good that's good yeah that's the same reason i can't go i my dog has his uh his annual vet appointment and he's got to get all his vaccines and everything and i can't bring him to the border if he doesn't have his vaccines so oh no he's, got, <laughs> he's, he's just due for his renewals it's just like terrible timing it's it's like his appointment is like the day after Oh dang! Uh, my, my, like I'm supposed to fly in, so dude. You know, it is what it is. Moral moral of the story there is like, 
you know, if you want to be at every live hacking event, don't get a dog. That's true. However, I will say, I will say I have a nice Windows PC set up at home that I'm very glad that I have access to that I can use now because, uh, like I said, these Windows targets, uh, you know, normally I travel with just my Mac laptop. So yeah. this, uh, this certainly makes things a little bit easier. Yeah, I think, I think I'm probably going to have to set up like TeamViewer or something like that to get back to my desktop because my laptop, it, it technically is a gaming laptop, but it's like... I don't know, man. This is an MSI Stealth GS66, and I like got it custom built, and like uh, you know, it's got 64 gigs of RAM and a bunch of other like crazy specs that I, I totally tricked it out. It was like three and a half, four grand for the laptop. Yeah, and it's crapping out on me, man. And it's not even been, well, I guess it's been just about two years. And two years though. yeah, and it's just but like you know, and to be fair, I am pretty hard on it, but also like. I paid three and a half grand for this laptop, man. Like yeah. I, I, I just hoping I'd get more than, than two years out of it. Yeah. It's super tough. I feel like hardware nowadays is like, especially like laptops, you can end up paying just like a lot of money. And then like in two years, like you said, like the new hot thing comes out and it's just like way better. And like, you can't keep yeah. up. Dude, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to, I, I think it's scheduled to come out at the end of this year, but I think there's going to be a, um, I want to say it was an AMD version of the M1. Um, and so I'm looking, looking forward to that and seeing how that's going to, that's going to go because it's definitely getting more, uh, adoption widespread. And I'm, I want to see how that looks on a non Mac computer. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you use just like Linux, right? Yeah. I just run straight. Well, I mean, this guy's dual booted, which I'm kind of happy I dual booted because now I have a portable windows computer that I can bring to the event. But, um, yeah, my primary distro is, is Ubuntu on the laptop and then excuse me, on, uh, on Windows or on my, on my desktop, I run Windows and then I've been using Windows subsystem for Linux as my primary sort of like terminal and stuff like that. And that's worked pretty good, but there's some networking yeah. issues that have still made it pretty difficult. Yep. Yep. I was, I was messing with some of that yesterday and, uh, I ended up just having to revert to like PowerShell and like, that kind <laughs> of because like you can't like accessing like the host network through WSL is like, it's Not, a pain. I will. Yeah. I will send you the script though. I I have a script now that does port forwarding on, uh, on you know from your host machine to your to your WSL instance, and that fixes a lot of my problems. So, it, but it just mm. took forever to get that in place. And I even like, dude, it's such a pain to even do like scheduled tasks on Windows. Like, I can't believe they just don't have like a cron job or something like that. That's a lot easier to do than their scheduled tasks because I set up a scheduled task to like port forward all these ports that I use. Um, and it's just not working well. And Dang. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I yeah. won't sit here and bash on windows all day, but I, I miss Linux. I miss, I miss it. So. Yeah. I, I will say like when there's definitely like a lot of reasons that I moved away from windows for like yeah. doing any of this kind of stuff, like, proxying and like hacking and all that like i just found it to be like so much easier like all the command line tools and everything like yeah you can, there are ways to do a lot of it on windows but um i feel like the barrier is like definitely a lot higher yeah i agree all right man um next next on the list here is of course did you did you see that tool i it hit twitter i want to say it was last week so we're a little bit late getting to it but i really thought that this was an interesting uh interesting tool to talk about on the show yeah, dude, and I, I actually hadn't heard about this, and it's—I mean, it's pretty wild. I'll let you—I'll let you go ahead, but um, yeah, I mean, Truffle Security—they're always doing yeah. like really awesome, 
awesome stuff like they have the so video cool. they released was so fun did you see the video no <laughs> the video, i didn't the video was just like like i don't know they turned it into like a skit oh, and and they like one of the guys was like hey dude i've got this crazy way to get like access to the internal network using cores without any social engineering and then the other guy was like uh what do you mean cores getting access to the internal network that's a browser thing like you don't know what you're talking about and he's like all right well then get over here and then the, the, you know it does like the cut to the travel scene you know where they're like getting on an airplane and he like flew over to talk to him about this course thing <laughs> so it was pretty entertaining but that's actually so awesome overall i really like the topic and i'll tell you why um that you know ssrf is a really popular vulnerability in the industry we've already done an episode on it um you know it's it's just it's really it's all over the place and uh, is a little bit of a hot take i feel like it's a bit overrated i really do um there there's really great stuff about it and obviously you know with with aws um metadata instance and stuff like that you know there's a lot of ways to pivot it into being really critical but i think this um, tool and the accompanying article does a really good job of highlighting how essentially if you get someone to browse to your malicious web page, uh, you've got a blind SSRF, um, you know, and, and they're inside the internal network, right? You've got a blind SSRF because you can just, you know, run JavaScript and force an HTTP request to be sent out, um, you know, unless there's some weird, you know, stuff going on that, that will happen. And as this one highlights, um, in some cases, you've got a full read SSRF, um, and it won't necessarily have cookies associated with it. But neither would you know this traditional uh, SSRF that you find you know just through a web application vulnerability. So I thought this was a really well done um, tech, uh, technique. Just to summarize it, essentially, it it takes you know it loads up, it creates a malicious web page, and the way that they um, got people to go to it in this uh, article was they picked you know a type a typo domain essentially in this scenario it was like eslamotors.com and they just put like a, a wild card on the domain and then they yep. just harvested whatever domain got sent to it and whatever path and then they fixed they you know grabbed the user's browser installed a service worker like shot out a bunch of requests looking for um, domains that have the core's wild card on it right so that they could read the the um HTML on that page and then right. um, loaded it back out and then redirected the user back to the page that they would have originally been going to because which we know because it's it's a typo. Um, so I, I really like that. I thought that was a really cool technique. Yeah, I think it, I mean, I think it's really like a good way. I think these types of things come out every once in a while where like somebody like it's something that's been around for a while, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, yeah. I think like five, 10 years ago, you could have done this for sure. But like, I don't think it was like, people weren't really thinking about it in the same way, right? Yeah. Like there were either easier ways to do the same thing or like, we just like, it just had, hadn't been thought about in that manner. And like, you know, I think it's really awesome to see this kind of like new unique way to like approach a bug and like to think about like, you know, you know, everything can be like an SRF if you, yeah. you know, frame it the right way or you load it the right way or, it could, you know, you're in a user's browser. Are you making a cross-origin request or is it an SRF? I mean, right. I mean, like both. I don't know. It's kind of, yes. it's kind of complicated. Well, I also really liked that they, you know, and because this, this technique has been, or at least 
I'll, I'll speak personally. You know, I've thought of this before and, and thought about something like this before, but I had not thought about, obviously in, in the bug bounty space, you have to not do social engineering, right? So if you've got like user interaction required, then it, you know, it gets weird and uh, there's social engineering involved. And so I really like the way that they uh, use typo squatting to, to get in as the initial attack vector and, you know, showed that this can have impact without, without um, a lot of user interaction. And that, that's kind of, this, this whole concept is kind of what, what I wanted to highlight in this episode, which was, um, you know, if you don't know how to program, sure, you can absolutely hack. You know, there's lots of bugs you can find. Some of the most high earning hackers um, that I know of in, in this industry don't know how to program. But um, when you start to understand the technologies a little bit better and, you know, you'll, you'll have ideas come to your head, ideas like what got me this RCE um, at this live hacking event that I'm at right now and ideas like what will, you know, we'll talk about in the bugs that we're going to review for, for this event. Um, and if you can code even in the slightest, um, it will really help for fleshing out these these ideas and these concepts. It'll make you a more creative hacker. It'll make you a more versatile hacker. And it'll also, if you choose to release this information, it'll make you um, well-known and well-respected in your industry for being able to produce tools and come up with unique concepts and then um, implement and prove the impact, which is what bug bounty is all about, right? It's POC or GTFO environment. And so a lot of times you got to push out that POC to really be, to really get the bounty. Yeah. And I also think like, when when you're like in the process of, re of replicating something i think a lot of the time you're gonna be like man this is such a pain i this there's so many steps i feel like copy paste this open it mm -hmm. in notepad like manipulate this like and you could just like code that up you yeah. know or have a script Absolutely. that you keep in a folder right called utils and then you just like copy it over and make some couple little modifications. <laughs> Very and just, specific you're good, scenario, you know I mean? right? Joel? Just, you're like, <laughs> call it. Tossing it out there. <laughs> <laughs> As an example. <laughs> right, right. Right. Um, but like, yeah, I, I think like, you know, just the ability to like automate in general and just like look at something and be like, I think I could make this simpler, easier, and like fully replicable. Like, I think that's like a really good way to look at stuff. Yeah, 100%. Automation. Uh, avenue is definitely one that's really popular and definitely, you know, something that's really applicable to the the programming versus not programming and hacking debate. Um, and yeah, you know, the other piece that I just wanted to highlight is that that exploit writing piece, because I think that also, you know, just speaking personally, I've been developing an automation tool for monitoring domains and, you know, monitoring changes over time and that sort of thing for literally... So I guess beginning of college for like 10 years right now, to be perfectly honest, and I'm like 25. So uh, it's, no, I'm 26 actually, <laughs> uh, uh -oh. but yeah. Are you, but, maybe you're 86. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, who knows? But um, yeah, so, and, and I've been working on that for 10 years, but, and so I've been able to code for my whole life essentially, but just recently have I sort of leaned into this whole aspect of like, all right, I've got this pretty complex situation that requires a script to build it out. And how fast can I prototype this? How fast can I get some little scripts scraped together to just even see if this concept that I'm thinking about is possible? And I've done that three times in the past, let's say six months. 
And every single time it's paid off with a crit. Um, actually, one was a high, uh, but uh, the other ones, the other two were crits. So I, I think that's a really, I think that's a really valuable takeaway. Okay. Now, while we were talking about this, I just, I thought about this XKCD that I love mm. about automation. And uh, it's funny because I Googled it and it, it Google was like, you visited this page like a of times. <laughs> the last time you visited it was. Send it to me, drop, it, drop it in the chat. I did. I just, I just put it in the chat. But it's a great, basically the TLDR, I wonder if they have a little text. Which, which, chat? which chat did you put it in? Uh, the, this uh, stream chat. Here, I'll put it on um, in a DM to you. Oh, I see it. I see it in the private chat. Okay. But yeah, so basically there's um, <laughs> <laughs> there's two graphs, right? There's like the theory about like automation, right? And the theory is that like you have like a graph of time on your x-axis and work on your y-axis right and so basically as you you go through time theoretically as you automate like you'll write some code you'll put in a lot of work in the beginning and then all that automation pays off and you save like a ton of time and a ton of work like as you go right however like <laughs> in reality <laughs> as we all know <laughs> when you write automation it's always like you'll start out and you'll be like oh this is great but I, I, if i just like made it like if i just added or like fix one there's little feature one little, one like, little thing about fix. it you know and there's just always like one little thing like forever <laughs> or you're like debugging like why something doesn't work or usually it's actually scaling i find is yeah. like the hardest that is yeah problem. like you, something will work like one off and then you'll be like sweet run it a hundred times and everything breaks and yeah, yeah. so it, so like it's tricky man it, automation it, is just one of those things you know yeah. And uh, to be perfectly honest, man, like I had, I've probably, I mean, I've put probably a thousand plus hours into maybe even more into my automation system and it's been down for the past year and I don't see it coming back, dude, to be perfectly honest. I just like, you know, there's so much, um, there's so much bloat in the automation par part of bug bounty. There's so many people trying to go for like, the automated revenue stream and stuff like that. And I really respect those people, but it is a grind, man. And you've got to pretty much like programming more than you like hacking because you're going to spend the majority of your time fixing your scripts, optimizing your scripts to beat the person. And then they're going to go optimize their scripts to beat you. And then you're going to optimize your scripts and you're going to scale more. And then it's just back and forth and back and forth. And then, you know, the the effect is is that eventually our margins are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller you see this in capitalism all the time until you know we're spending thousands of dollars a month on fleets for of servers just to snag a couple subdomain takeovers so i don't know i'm i i checked out of the game well i definitely don't know some automation bug bounty hunters who have multiple isps as backups <laughs> and that kind of stuff yeah multiple like, isps oh yeah dude yeah oh so, i mean so right and that's the thing is like at what point do you stop being a bug bounty hunter and are you now a software engineer like Absolutely. a software security engineer who's just like writing automation right you're just like developing your software and like doing bug fixes and like maybe what like five ten percent of your time is actually spent doing actual bug hunting yeah right? no for so, sure man that's yeah not I, again i also like massive respect for those types of people yeah. like i you know, I, I bet I could make like a boatload of money if I did it, but like, I just, it doesn't really appeal to me in the same way. I like, yeah. you know, the sort of the hunt and just like the challenge of like figuring out like a cool bug and like having something super niche. Yeah. I mean, the money's there, man. Uh, you know, I talk about when I do my bug bounty interviews, my time in Japan, when I was there for the first year and a half, um, 
I was winning the Route 53 takeover games. Um, and that was a lot, a lot of money every month, you know, automated, didn't have to modify the script, but maybe five hours over that year and a half. And then, but then, you know, another thing comes in where it's just like, poof. And that, that, that vulnerability class, not entirely disappeared, but it like got very, very minimized. Um, so that's another concern with, with automation for sure. Yeah. All right, man, let's, let's, uh, (laughs) let's, let's come off the rabbit trail there and get back on the schedule. Um, let's, let's talk about, uh, I, I want to talk about this bug really quickly, and this is not a disclosed bug once again. So you guys are getting the, the scoop. Um, Use your imagination. Yeah. And Joel, you haven't seen this either. So this will be, this will be a good story. Okay. So this was five years ago. This was actually when I was first getting into uh, bug bounty. I don't even know that I had been to my first live hacking event at this point. Um, and I was looking at this application. Uh, I, I'll try not to give too many more specifics, but one of the things I noticed was that it was a, when you did the forgot password flow, it was an MD5 hash, which is always interesting to me. Like, uh, you know, I wonder what they're hashing. Are they hashing, you know, are they just generating random string and then hashing it and then just sticking into the database or like, what are they doing? So I, I had this idea and I was like, okay, what if I just code up a little script, right? You know, doing, doing MD5 hashes in Python is like super easy. So what if I just coded up this little script and, you know, took like 15 or so formats that could be interesting and generated, uh, you know, MD5 hash with my user information, you know, my email, my first name, my last name, my username, my, you know, the current timestamp, uh, a couple other different pieces and just to see, you know, see what happens. And so on a whim, I wrote the script for this one target. And I ran the script. Just like guessing what would separate them and all of it. Dude, it absolutely worked. And I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Like, can you imagine the odds, Joel, of like, the one i was trying to figure them out honestly they're so low that's why it's crazy i was you know i was just like thank you god that is a gift from above because like what are the chances that the one time you know i check the password reset flow which i don't always do by the way and then furthermore i notice and it's an md5 hash and then furthermore I, i like get that itch like you know what all right i'm just gonna like code up all this random stuff just to try it on this target and then i guess the right format and then it works, right? So, okay, so here, here's what it was in the end. In the end, um, it took a Unix timestamp um, and it took the user's email and it said user's email plus Unix, Unix timestamp of when it was submitted. And then it does the MD5 hash of that and that's the password reset token. Wow. Um, so I, you know, I wrote, when I wrote the script, I said, all right, you know what? I'm just gonna say I ran this script right when it happened. So I clicked the password reset button, ran the script, and it just grabbed the past like 15 seconds of, of Unix timestamps or whatever. And it ran it. And it, when it popped, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this has got to be a mistake. And then it submitted it. And then, dude, at the end of the day, I was so salty. It, it was, you know, it's an arbitrary account takeover, right? They, yeah. they put it as a high. And I'm like, are mm-hmm. you kidding me? I can literally reset the password for any single user. And they're like, no, this doesn't affect integrity. I'm like, Whoa. what? Yeah. Uh, the so, CBSS strikes back. <laughs> needless, needless to say, I, I went a little bit, 
I went a little bit ham on them after that, but it never got moved for more than a high. So I was a little bit, little bit salty, but that's a good, you know, a good tip to throw out there is like, uh, well, for one, you know, this one, you know, check your password reset flows, when it's a hash, you know, have a little script that does it. It literally takes like 10 minutes to code up that script. If you know how to do anything in, in computers, it's not, it's not very hard to, to code that up. Um, do that. And then for two, when you've got the itch like that, you know, scratch it, like go, go and write up those little scripts for those kind of sort of fringe ideas and then just kind of run them as we, as we go and, and keep them in your pocket and you will always be able to go back to them and kind of, you know, see if it works on different targets across time. It won't always pop on the first one. Like, like I got lucky, but I think in the future it would. So, yeah. And I think like automation is like one of those things that's like, especially for like a large scale, like very like broad type of thing like that, like automation is fantastic for that use case, right? Like mm -hmm. if you want to brute force something or want to take like a large set of possibilities and do all the combinations all, and like test every single one against something, do script it. Like you can do that in like 50 lines of code or less, yeah. you know, like you can just, it's super simple. There's so many libraries and built-in things that let you just like do that type of like brute forcing and like just iterative combinations and testing things and just like little one-off things like you can do that so easily with automation yeah. compared to trying to do that manually and you can do it um, in, i mean you can do it directly in burp a lot of the times with intruder and even if you can't do it in in burp with intruder you can do it in turbo intruder a lot of times too yeah yeah 100 percent um which is just a, basically python right yeah and it just runs python and then the other thing that i wanted to call out just as as a um little tip that's relevant to this one is I, I just went back and looked at the script, you know, that I used to generate these, um, these, this exploit. And I noticed that I used the burp copy as Python requests, uh, mm. extension, which I don't know if everyone knows about that, but like, especially as a Python lover, that's great. That really helps me a lot because, uh, you know, I don't even, it takes all of the effort out of like converting the structure of a burp request into Python. Um, so that's, that's a great one. I'll, I'm going to go ahead and link that in the show notes. Let me just make a note right now to link it in the show notes. Um, I'm going to blow your mind because there's a thing to make this more generic. It's called curl converter that I've used before. Curlconverter.com. Yeah. yeah. And you basically just paste in a curl command and it has, let's see, Ansible, C, C sharp, Dart, Go, Java, nice. JavaScript, JSON, PHP, Python, Rust, Ruby. It, it'll convert it to all no these different... Way. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Curl, It'll just give you the curl code. Converter? Yep. Yeah, so curlconverter.com. That that is like super, super useful what? because that's more generic, right? So you don't even need to use like a burp extension or anything. You can just like copy your curl from anywhere, just paste it in there, and then you got it as code, right? If you're testing like a curl in your shell and then you want to put it like automate it, great. Put it in curl converter, then you're good to go. Dude, this is sick. Yeah. Wow. So curl converter is really cool. Languages. Um, another thing I was thinking of about like, um, automation and especially on like the less coding side, there's a tool called cyber chef. Um, that's really yeah. useful. Um, I don't think there's like a clean URL for it. There's it's on GitHub, like uh, somebody's it's, it's like, GitHub pages. Hold it's on, on like github.io, but if you search cyber chef on, um, on Google, then you, it should be like the first result. And basically cyber chef is like a much more like user-friendly type of like, um, data transformation, right? I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the one. 
uh, the one you just linked me. So right. basically, you can just like drag and drop blocks of like different operations, right? So there's like base64 decode, like you could do from binary, uh, like, you know, AES encrypt, like Vigineer cipher. You can chain like, them together. Yeah, yeah, all sorts of different things. Like it has a ton of different things. You can do loops and like all, all more like complex, like, you know, programming flows and whatever if you want. But it's really nice for like little things, um, especially for like um, little data, like conversion. Like you want to go from like binary to ASCII or you want to go from ASCII to binary yeah. or to hex or like, you know, whatever. And if you don't know how to do that in like Python, then it's like totally fine. Like you can just like, you know, search for the one you want, just drag it over and just put put the data in your input it's super user friendly i would recommend like if you're using that in cyberchef like go one step further and learn how to do it in python too yeah so that way like when you're thinking like ah oh, should i just do this in cyberchef you could do it quicker just by opening a python shell probably yep. you know yeah i so. agree and and i actually think kaido is is implementing something like cyberchef inside of of its you know built-in decoder which i think is really cool i think being able to chain those things is is pretty awesome. So definitely be on the lookout for that as Kaido gets a little bit more mainstream. Yeah, for the first time ever, I have my burp, uh, my burp suite renewal email come in, and I'm, uh, I'm sitting on it for. Yeah, dude. I'm thinking seriously because I've used Kaido a little bit, and it's, uh, it's pretty dope. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it, it might just almost be at the point where I don't need burp anymore. Yeah, full disclosure, um, I, I, I turned my auto renew off. I did. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to stick with it um, because there are some fr fringe scenarios where you still need burp for, you know, proxying Android stuff or whatever. But um, Kaido's Kaido's pretty much there for me. And there, there, there are some some sort of pain points that I've I've, you know, told Ian about being able to copy, uh, change the request uh, type like from get to post automatically. I really love that feature of Burp and uh, some of the other stuff too. But the, the Kaido team is pushing features out left and right. So I can't imagine it'll be long before the the feature set that I need is is complete and I can make the full transition. Yeah, I mean, just like automation, right? It's like one of those things at first, you're like, this is going to be amazing. Like, how hard could it be? You know, like, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, a couple of years later, you know, of a lot of hard work and now it's, starting to finally pay off like i think they're really like yeah able to make like serious competitive uh stance against um burp and some some of the other proxy shows out there to like actually appeal to like hackers you know what i mean like burp is like like don't get me wrong burp is amazing right like it's carried the industry for like many many years but i it think has. like they are getting old well and... i mean the, the thing is man it, it's it's just in the community edition is great and I'm, I'm really grateful that they have that but at the end of the day, it's not accessible at scale because you need a, you know, 64 gigabyte RAM computer to run yep. it for more than a day. You know, yeah. so if there's you're a doing... ton of like legacy, like weird thing, like you can't have two burp instances open easily at the same time. Yeah. Like without doing all sorts of like funky things and like you can't switch projects easily without fully closing burp and yeah. reopening it. Like you can't like, you know, it, it's a fully like Java based application. So it's like heavy, you know, like it's like, you know, it, and I think like, again, like I, I don't want this to turn like a, a burp hate thing. Cause I no, use no. burp, right? Like I love I, burp. I, I have used burp for many, many I years, have like, but right I now. just think like, I think that there's been a lot of like noise and yeah. voices from the community being like, hey, it would be really great if Burp did these things. 
and they've just like either never done it or like really dragged their feet on it to the point that people have gone and made their own proxy tools yeah. like Kaido and now there's competition in the market right yeah so. and and as there should be and and one as there thing, should be and i think it's yeah, good for sure and and i, I just want to shout out to burp people if any if anyone from burp is here i've got a feature request right now that's just been driving me nuts intruder why can i not select a request and select a part of a request and highlight a specific part of that request, right? And then right-click and hit send to intruder. And then it, it injects automatically in that spot rather than in every single parameter that a verb can possibly find. Like, I don't understand how that has not made its way into the, the functionality yet. You, you guys listened on the intruder, I mean, not the intruder, the intercept on automatically, off automatically thing. That's great. I need, I need intruder to have the selected I mean, do, am I the only one that uses it that way? Do you also on, on select, you know, your portion that you want to inject into and then click send to intruder and then have to redo it? Yeah, I mean, I just feel like I'm always like the tool does like what it wants and I'm just there to like work around it. Right? Yeah, like, that's kind of like how it is. You know, like it's like I got a cat recently and the more I have this cat, the more I realize like this is the cat's house now and yeah. I'm just like here. With you the know cat. the cat yeah. the cat just does whatever it wants <laughs> so it's very similar <laughs> burp is the cat exactly burp <laughs> burp does whatever it wants and we're just here to kind of you know vibe around it <laughs> it's true man it's true yeah um well all right burp we love you kaido we're looking forward to to you being uh, at a predominant spot in the market definitely check out kaido if you haven't the beta is open i believe for for um applicants so definitely check that out yeah. and they have a discord which is awesome you can yeah. just like interact right discord there. is very responsive feedback and get notifications and everything it's awesome yeah cool um yeah so the the other thing uh let's let's see here so we do do want to jump right into what, what time are we We're at 37 minutes yeah let's uh let's go right into uh the report that we that we were going to talk about sure um pull this guy up so this is actually this is actually a report joel's going to do most of the explanation but this is a a report that uh joel and i collaborated on together um uh on a particular iot device that we will not mention actually even though like literally as we're recording this right now um the team has commented on it and said hey uh, a fix has been placed into production can you confirm it so we got to go check that out wow they after, really after like this. eight minutes ago yeah <laughs> Very ironic. So, we're, okay. I mean, we can't, we can't fully disclose, but I can feel a little bit more at ease talking about it now. So that's good. All right, cool. Um, yeah. So, I mean, so we'll just say IoT device, right? Use your sure. imagination here. Yeah. But basically, um, you know, uh, this IoT device is one of those, um, like, how do I describe this? It's a tablet. We'll say that it's a tablet. Okay. It's it, yeah, More it's a tablet, right? You can do lots of things with tablets. Uh, one of those things oftentimes is that you can like cast media to those tablets, right? Um, either via like Miracast, Chromecast, Apple play, whatever, some proprietary thing, right? There's a bunch of different ways to cast stuff to tablets. Um, and so the way that this worked is that they had uh, essentially this like pairing system that this custom pairing system, right? So if you wanted to cast something or share media to this tablet, it would generate this code. You would then like pair it with your device uh, by like typing in the code. 
it would like communicate with the device directly over this little like HTTP server that it had on like a random like port 8009. I don't know if we should say that. Maybe we'll bleep that out. Beep. Yeah. And and then it would connect and basically it would authenticate. They would communicate. They would do this little like handshake thing uh, over this this secure protocol supposedly and then uh once it had authenticated it would open up your content and it would show it on the tablet right and so um what when we were digging into this i said well i mean first thing we had to do was get the apps off of the tablet right and so it's a it's a hardware device it is android based but basically like uh i took it apart i opened up the pcb i removed the chip (laughs) and i read it yeah, <laughs> I dude, that the was, whole chip that was, off the board so, so talk me through that a little bit because like you did that before i came on the scene and i have been reaping the benefits of that with lots you know with this sort of thing here and being able to look at that code so you you you, you know you popped it up or you popped it open you know you've got this chip on there and you hit it with a heat gun right yeah so we should definitely do like an episode about like hardware hacking Absolutely, there's some like awesome hackers that we can have on here that are a lot more qualified than i am i've done a decent amount of hardware hacking in, in my time but i'm like nowhere near an expert but basically for this it's it's very straightforward so especially because it's an android based system um typically it's going to have some sort of like an sd or like a very standard like storage um flash on the board mm-hmm. um, because it needs somewhere to store data so um, most uh, most of these devices that we we hacked all by the same company, mm-hmm. um, they all had like a Samsung like BGA uh, ball grid array uh, chip on on the board, like you know four gig, eight gig, whatever, just a couple gigabytes. And basically, what it is is it's an eMMC chip, which is essentially an SD card, right? That's all it is. Like if really? you think about okay. it, yeah, it's basically just an SD card, right? So. Uh, SD cards are also EM, EM, EMMC, right? So if you were to just take that chip off and mount it like an SD card, then you can read it like an SD card, right? So basically, the the common way that you do this is you would use a heat gun and a lot of uh, flux paste, and you basically just like heat up the chip in like a uniform, you know, do just like circles or whatever. There's a lot of different like tutorials and stuff. This is typically how they would also do like a repair on a I mean, device. is it literally like, as simple as like, all right, now I'm shooting a, a heat gun at this thing? Like, uh, yeah, it's literally a heat gun. Wow. It's like, okay. you know, running at like, you know, 300C or whatever. Like, it depends on what you're doing because you don't want to damage the chip. Um, but yeah, basically, you know, you, you use a heat gun and you slowly you heat up the chip. And a, a, a BGA chip, ball grid array, it's ball grid array because they're balls of solder that are underneath the chip, right? So if you think about it, it's literally like a grid of little tiny balls of solder. Oh, really? Are, yeah, that are on under the chip. Uh-huh. You can Google this and there's like images that, that'll probably explain it better, like visually, right? Huh. But basically when you're using the heat gun, all you're doing is you're warming up that solder underneath the chip so that you can lift it off the board, right? Because they do the same thing when they install the chip, right? There's like little balls of solder, you heat it up with heat, and then you put the chip on top of it, the solder solidifies, and it makes contact with little contacts on the bottom of the chip, and then it holds it in place. And that's how the chip Wow. Is mounted on the board dude right? i can't so, believe that's how that that dude i i've seen this sort of thing before and i've never known that that was how it is that seems so like temperamental like if you did something a little bit off and like one of these solders 
hit, you know, another piece or like it's smeared a little bit, then you'd have some serious problems. Yeah, so you would think so, but basically, like because of the way that PCBs work, like solder is basically like a tr it, it it binds to like certain things on the board, like copper contacts, right? So mm -hmm. like when solder makes contact with the copper, like it wants to bind to that, and it wants to stick to that. It doesn't want to stick to like the coating that's on the rest ah, of the PCB. Okay. So those balls of solder, like they're gonna be really, they want to like bind to that copper. So typically it'll be in like, there'll be like a little metal template, right? And you'll put all the balls of solder into these little holes in the template so that they're held in place. And then you heat it up and then like they drop, they like bind down and then you remove your template. And it's like, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole thing, but in reverse, it's a lot easier, especially if you're not intending to like use that board again, right. because you just like hit it with heat. Right. And you, you're basically just holding the chip, like waiting for it to like loosen up enough flux uh flux paste um yeah. it basically like helps uh remove impurities um from the solder and it helps it to liquefy and like heat up and you know let the chip go basically so you add a bunch of flux bunch of heat just wait 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 and eventually that chip will come off so now you have a chip that has you know the contacts on the bottom then you buy these these special adapters that they make they go from emmc of different sizes uh to an sd card i'll actually get it right oh nice show you. yeah how, did, how much did that how much did that thing set you back because i feel like that's a pretty specialized piece of technology that you need to to read these chips yeah so i uh, it definitely wasn't exactly cheap um it wasn't crazy expensive either it's one of those things that like you put it in your toolkit um so this oh, is what it looks that like out. nice can, that's yes. pretty compact so, on the opposite side, you can see it literally SD card. You know what nice. I mean? Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Looks like an SD card. If you open it up. Sorry. I mean, we may have to drop this video on YouTube, actually. So <laughs> yeah. Either we'll drop this, this on YouTube or we'll yeah. link it or something. But basically, yeah. you can see in there. So there's a little faceplate that you can screw off for different sized oh, chips. Oh, nice. Okay. So and it's then on the inside, there's you can see where it makes contact. Oh, with the all chip, those little, little, right? yeah, 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 yeah. And so when you close this, it locks the chip in there, holds it in place, makes sure it makes contact with those pins. You plug it in, and it's literally just, you know, and it's just like going, an, like it's an going SD directly. Card exactly. It's like an SD card, right? So once I had the chip off the board, um, I just put it in this, plug it in my computer. It shows up as, you know, a, a whatever, however many gigs chip, like the, yeah. but it's just raw partitions, right? It's not mounted properly. You then you just rip the entire like partition like every single partition basically you just rip the whole uh the whole device down to your local disk takes up a lot of space but mm, you know it mm. is what it is because it's it's literally a raw mirror of the entire sd card right right so you have like hold on my cat is yeah once my... again it's the cat's world it's the cat's house <laughs> the cat, joel, joel is the just renting world. the cat is on my desk right now <laughs> doing whatever he wants <laughs> he's like he's, we might have to dump this one on youtube man he's like wrestling this cat right now so right so you rip the whole thing you have all have all these partitions um and then basically you can mount each partition and extract all the files like a file system right so like one partition is going to be the data partition one's going to be the system partition mm -hmm. one's going to be just like a reserve like a bunch of different ones um and then you can dive into there and you can see what's in there and nice. from that point it's like all decrypted um i would have actually expected that they would have encrypted the data on the like sd or something like but um surprisingly no uh, yeah. they did not so 
so yeah, basically TLDR, heat up the chip, add a bunch of flux, remove the chip, put it in an EMMC adapter, plug it into your computer, rip the whole drive, take every partition, extract it to your PC, explore. Boom, you've got the firmware. And then you pass that firmware to your friend who knows nothing about hardware hacking. <laughs> and then we find some interesting stuff. Um, yeah, because at that point you don't need to. You know what I mean? Like, right. it, it's actually really cool once you once you're at that point because you get to see like the secret sauce. You know yeah, what I mean? Dude. Like, there's so much like interesting stuff that's interfacing with all the custom hardware and whatever that they have like on this tablet and like all the like you know things that's just like a normal Android. Like, you wouldn't see it in like normal Android development because it's you know it's, it's it's specific. Yeah, that's where that's where a lot of the questions that I had for you from the uh, the mobile episode, um, that's where a lot of those came from because there was some really interesting stuff in in you know that APKs for that that weren't you know that I hadn't seen before in normal APK stuff. So that that was really a good learning experience for me, as was this wonderful explanation that you just dropped on us, Joel. And I just love let me just say I love how Joel's like yeah so. Uh, you know, I don't really do hardware hacking, but here's how these chips are manufactured with the templates. And then, you know, and then like <laughs> goes down this whole thing, pulls out this like, you know, specialized piece of equipment that he needs to like read all these chips. So yeah, yeah. This, is, this is why, this is why I was like, I thought of Joel when I was like, I need, I need a po podcast partner. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a little, you know, I've got a nice toolkit that I'm starting to build up. You know, after all the years, eventually, the more like hardware assessments and stuff you do, like you know, you'll buy a power supply, you'll buy yeah. an oscilloscope, you'll buy, you know, a, a signal analyzer, logic analyzer, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I also have to say, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt that you're extremely nerd snipeable. You know, like I, I have, I don't know that I've met a person that's ad ner as nerd snipeable as Joel because you can just be like, yo, Joel, have you seen this thing? And then you like wake up the next morning and Joel's like, all right, man, I was up to like, you know, whatever, you know, and I found this and I, and so I, man, you're, I you're reminding me, you gotta do an episode about the oh flipper. Oh my gosh, dude, you, yeah, I'm so jealous that you got a flipper, man. I, I, I did not pull the trigger that day that we were talking about it and they're sold out again. So I need to go. Like yeah. January 13th. Is when Dang, they're going to be back in stock. So I got to go. There's a Twitter account that that does alerts. Just like follow it and set up like notifications, and yeah. they'll and they'll tweet it and just go buy it immediately. That's you know what, what that's that's what I'm going to do right now, actually. Because the last time you mentioned that, I was like, oh yeah, I should do that, and then I didn't do that, and now I did. So I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna get it next time. I just put the uh, the Rogue Master uh, Unleashed firmware on my on my flippers, Ooh. so I can do all sorts of cool cooler things. It's a little more unlocked now. Nice man. Bus, buses, buses can fly. Where I was hanging out with him the other day, and uh, he was whipping that out and showing me all the crazy stuff you can do with that. And it's it's nuts, man. It really is. It's so awesome. It's like I don't even know how to. Do it. It's like you know, if a Tamagotchi was like, <laughs> you know what I, you know what I mean? It's just like in your pocket. It's so like weird because it's just like this little like portable. Like it's crazy. It's so like gamified and stuff. It's really cool. It's such an yeah. awesome piece of hardware. Yeah, and I feel like it's it's also like the ultimate tool for like, you know, showing off your hacking skills as well. Like you can clone people's credit cards, you can clone people's like access cards, like it's just boom, you know, and it just feels very hackery whenever you do that stuff. So Yeah. yeah. All right, awesome. let me let me see. So okay, so <laughs> we seriously rabbit trailed there, but going yeah, back to know. the Going back to this. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, sorry, yeah. tablet. The, the tablet. Know. How do All we right. Get here? So we pull we Joel <laughs> yeah. dumps the firmware. Yeah, we dump the firmware, we get the apps. We're like, how does this thing work? Right. So we start digging and uh, 
I remember I was like taking some cursory looks and you had reached out and you were like, Hey, I have this like really weird behavior. Like, um, do you want to like take a look at it? It's like this weird, like casting thing. Like I can like get it to like, if I send it like to certain requests, I can like get it to like, um, spawn. It was, you know, it was what it was doing was spawning an application just from, you know, a request being sent over, over the wire, um, to an open port. So I knew that that was like, okay, that needs to be sussed a little bit because it's like if you can if you can start popping apps up on the on the, the application then you know on the device then that that normally has some decent impact and i read some you know adjacent um stuff on that protocol that was similar to the uh to the request that i was doing that allows you to install stuff um fortunately for the company and for you know the iot security of this device uh, that functionality was not running but if it was, that would have been that would have been big payday. Yeah, I think we talked about it earlier. I've I've seen I've seen stuff like that too. Yeah. I've found stuff like that in the wild. Yeah, that's crazy, dude. I can't imagine. And so then, anyway, there, but through this process, there was this whole pairing thing, and it would generate this four four digit code, and then it had like a a timeout though of like okay, you can try or not a timeout like a limit, so you could try ten times to get the code right, and if you didn't get the code right then uh you know it would it would kick you out but you could try that as many times as you want as fast as you wanted so um however there was like cryptographic hell to go through to pay for this attempt right so this is where joel and i kind of sat down for like a couple days like uh five six hours straight on a couple different days of just trying to like reproduce this this um crypto flow in python and that's where we learned a really good lesson about um, this is where one of my tweets from a while back came, which was like, essentially, if you're trying to reverse crypto stuff, use the language and the library that, you know, in the same language of the, the server that you're trying to talk to, because otherwise it just, it's, it's so annoying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those great examples where like, like what we talked about at the beginning, where if you are coming across something that's like super tedious. Like there's so many steps. It's like not easy, like to like even do like one manual instance of this bug, like automate it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it'll take a little more time to do that initial automation, but you're going to thank yourself in the long run because you don't have to go back and like do this tedious work over and over again. You do it once and then, you know, you just use that from there, from there on. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I, and and to the language point you're talking about, like I think yeah. like we we've talked about this a little bit with um, with mobile, where like if you decompile like some crypto stuff from like Android, just like run it as Java, right? Yeah. If they're not using any like Android specific, like specifically, like I would say like as long as they're not using a native library from Android, you should be able to do it all with normal Java, right? There should be either one to one parallels uh, for like the Java. For, for any like Android libs that they're using, or you can either omit that code entirely from it, right? Like things like Logcat, for example, right? Like mm -hmm. that's Android specific. Yeah. They're just, just logging messages. Pull it out, use print, use system out, whatever. Yeah. Like you don't need to use that kind of stuff. Um, you can almost like certainly run all of that Java code on just like a normal like Java JVM, right? Yeah, that um, was that was a uh, that was a big takeaway for me, you know, when when you said that, Joel, because I started looking at Java very differently. Uh, previously, I was just looking at it as like a you know clunkier programming language that I learned in college. But post post that experience, I realized, 
you know, it, it, it is a virtual machine based language, um, you know, and so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like, I kind of think of it a little bit more like a, like a Docker programming language now where you can really like all of these different pieces from all, all the different areas are very intercompatible and that makes reversing stuff in Java a lot easier. So definitely yeah. a big win there for me, as far as my understanding of tech, that tech stack worked. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Java is a clunky language. It right? is. Like, but yes, I think that was like one of the really big things that like made Java such a big deal early on is that like the interoperability for it to go from like, you can run this jar on anything mm -hmm. and because of the, J the JVM, because of the Java virtual machine, mm -hmm. it can work exactly the same. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a big dub. So yeah, at the end of the day, to sum it up, um, we bypassed all the, all the crypto stuff, got down to the root level protocol and we're able to um, write a script to just really, really quickly brute force that four character pin. And even though we had 10, 10 tries, only 10 tries, you know, that as many times as we want, we can just do it really, really fast and try a bunch of times with a bunch of different threads. And uh, yeah, we got the attack down to, I want to say it was like 30 seconds at one point uh, it took to just take over that whole device. And then once you've taken over the device, um, your, your key that you're using in the crypto portion of that is stored on the machine and you won't have to re-auth again to push data to that device. So, um, you know, you kind of gain persistence on the device as well, which added to the, the impact of that bug. Yeah, that, I remember that full POC video is just so awesome. Oh, dude, because, I like, love it. I mean, brute forcing a pin like that, I, I initially didn't think like the odds would like work out. But I mean, within like 10 minutes at most, yeah. I think like if you do the math, like the odds are actually like a lot lower than, than you'd anticipate. Yeah. And that, you know, again, one of those things that like, it might just be more possible than you think like brute forcing things it seems inefficient it, i mean it is inefficient right but like they are definitely like oh my god your your mic your mic cut out there joel are you are you wrestling the cat right, again the cat, yes i'm <laughs> wrestling the cat the cat is trying to attack the birds outside the world <laughs> <laughs> with zero regard for where he is on my desk yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so uh yeah i think it's just one of those instances where like you know, just go back, automate it, like take your time, like it'll be good. Yeah. I found that I found, I, I, you know, I didn't really want to do math on the live, you know, on the stream here, but I found the math portion of this report. So essentially, you know, it's a four character pin and it had to be, um, you know, between uh, the code said it needed to be between a thousand and uh, 10,000, right? So that gives us 9,000 possibilities. And right. um, we had 10 tries. Uh, so we had a one in 900 chance of guessing the correct pin. And if you can try, you know, multiple tens of times per second, then, um, you know, you're eventually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not going to take that long to get, to get that one in 900 chance yeah, to pop. Right. Because so. like statistically you're going to go through 900 times, right? Yeah. If it's one in 900, great. After a thousand times, statistically, I should have hit it at least once. Yeah. And sometimes it pops in like three seconds and you're yeah. like, Oh, <laughs> so it was kind of, it was kind of an exciting bug. And yeah, the, um, I, I just remembered what you were talking about with the POC video, because when we recorded the POC video for the team, it, you know, we were like explaining, you know, we were recording the video, it was running in the background, brute forcing. And then like, right as we finished the explanation, it like popped right at that, at that moment. And it was just like such a clutch, you know, it, the timing was perfect. So I, I, I love that. Awesome. Yeah. So that's the, and I will say the, like the one, yeah, the ahead. one thing that I wanted to mention, and you mm. wrote this down in the doc and like, I was reading it and like, 
I, I agree. Like, I know I do this too much where I, I'm very like perfectionist when I write like my automations and like my code and stuff. Like mm -hmm. I want it to be like engineering quality. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, but like, Oh, I know. I Joel. think like I what know. I've seen. From, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think what I've seen from you is like, it does, it really doesn't need to be like, it needs to work. You want to make it pretty. Like if it, if you want to make it pretty fine, do it later. You know what I mean? Like get yeah. it to work the first time. Like, bare minimums make it readable make it like editable and beyond that like fast fast and dirty like make it just work Thanks, and after that you can make it pretty like I, I, i'm gonna no take i respect you for that dude i'm gonna I, take dude, that as a compliment but you know at the end of the day i hope uh, yeah i hope it didn't come across as an insult no. because it's not like an no. insult like i wish that i could be like less yeah less like you know obsessive uh, about like dumb python scripts it's, it's you know? a big it's a big piece of of you know being able to code um, you know, like I was talking about before, it's, it's a big part of being able to prototype quickly. And, and this is, I'm going to quote Shubbs on this. One of the most, um, you know, impactful things Shubbs told me, uh, as regards to programming was we were chatting about my automation flow and whether I should switch, you know, rewrite everything and go. And he's like, dude, at the end of the day, like a lot of stuff, you just want to be able to prototype quickly. You want to be able to move fast. You want to be able to get something out there ASAP, you know? when a new technique comes out. And so um, stick whatever with whatever you can uh, write most quickly in. And then uh, if you need to scale, if you need to be faster, just scale, scale horizontally. And yep. I thought that was a really great insight. Yeah. And I think that's like, again, what we were talking <clears throat> about at the beginning, scaling is one of those like really hard problems, but don't worry about scaling until you have to scale. You know what I mean? Right. Like, don't be like, ah, what if this like, but this Python code, is like not i'm literally talking to myself right now i'm like <laughs> projecting like <laughs> like come on joel <laughs> don't it doesn't need to be optimized so that it can run 50 threads when it's only running on three threads you know right but like yeah right. it's like again you know scale it when it needs to scale and do it the fastest way that you can that makes the, it the easiest and the most sense because yeah. nobody's going to read it but you sure totally agree and and so with that we'll we're we're just over an hour now, so we're gonna get yeah. right into our our bounty, our bounty bites our bounty bite section. So just a quick note on on our our new section. We've decided to call this section the tips at the end of the show bounty bites uh, with with uh, uh, how do how do I say this with respect to the second place name for this for this podcast we we, we pulled a couple people we talked to actually we pulled a lot of people like it's okay uh, i can accept it uh, my my name did not win yeah it, so it happens it, we we came up with critical thinking i was actually an ai generated name we wrote we went over to like chat gpt or something and said like hey generate generate the names uh for a bug bounty podcast and it came up with uh, critical thinking, which we both thought That's was great. True. I totally forgot. I forgot that we did that. It yeah, was like dude. right when ChatGPT had first come out. Yeah. Like, Ooh, this would be like, and it was actually a great use case. It was, it was awesome. And, and we gave it just a bunch of keywords and it popped this out. So we, we really liked that one. And the other one we liked was Bounty Bites. Um, so, but we did know that these were going to get long episodes because Joel and I can both talk. So, yes. <laughs> yes. so, so we thought Bites would not quite be applicable. Yeah. And so what I'll say is, um, and maybe we should, we'll cut this and put it at the beginning, but mm. if you guys have any feedback, like positive, negative, we really want to hear the constructive feedback. Is it too long? Is it too short? Mm -hmm. uh, do you want to hear more about in-depth stuff? Do you want to hear more about bugs? Do you want to hear more about just general topics? Like what topics do you want to hear about? Like yeah. we would love to hear all that. So either tweet it at us. You can send us an email info at uh, criticalthinkingpodcast.io. 
yeah, criticalthinkingpodcast.io, info at criticalthinkingpodcast.io. Again, you can tweet at us. You can leave a review um, on any of the podcast apps that you can send me a letter. If you know yeah, my address. Said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, look me up, bro. Like, stalk me, dude. Uh, hell yeah. Um, hey, please don't. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I totally want to echo that and say, yeah, we definitely want to hear the feedback. Um, at the end of the day, we want this to be a helpful podcast for you. And uh, while Joel here is actually a podcast veteran, which I didn't find out until recently, um, I am a first-time podcaster. So definitely let us know um, what you'd like to see more of. Um and with that, I think what they would like to hear more of is some cool bug bounty tips. Let's um, do it. So I had, you know, okay. So Joel, I don't, you don't have anything in the doc here. So I'm <laughs> going to let you come up with stuff on the fly, but I'll take the first one. Yeah, um, go for it. So this was, like, like I kind of mentioned before, these are going to be uh, largely rela um, related to the kind of bugs that we've been finding lately. So one that I found the other day was a really interesting one. It was a uh, reflected XSS on on the logout function. Um, and so that's kind of a, a double-edged sword, right? Because it's like, okay, how do I how do I exploit this? Was when... it triggering before logout or after? No, it was after the logout. Mm. So um, you know, how do I exploit this? How do I get user information? And so at the end of the day, I, I found out how to do it. Um, and how, how I did it was this, okay? So I would submit a, a form um, and it would, the, tar the form, target of that form was um, target blank, right? So it opens up in a new tab, right? And this is necessary because we are in a same site lax environment and we need to still get the cookies. Um, so we pop, we, pop, we pop this out and the cookies for the previous, um, or for the current domain are going to still be in that main that main browser tab. So I'll, I'll explain that in just a second. So we we pop open the the tab that's going to have the exploit. Now the that is actually going to be in my case scenario it was a post request. So that's going to be a 307 uh, a stalled 307 redirect we're going to use there. So pop open a new tab. It's pointing to my server. Then I'm gonna I wrote a little piece of PHP code that says you know wait five seconds or three seconds or whatever and then issue a 307 redirect to the target page where the um, <clears throat> where the vulnerability lived. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with a 307 redirect, a 307 redirect is the only type of redirect that does not change the uh, type of, or maybe a 308 doesn't as well, but a 307 does not change the request type. So if it's a post request, it will still be a post. If you do a 301 or a 302 on a post request, it's gonna send a get request. So um, helpful little tidbit there. So after it stalled for a couple seconds, it triggered the actual uh, XSS on the logout function. Now, while it was stalling, the parent page, the opener of that tab, that was using a, um, when the submit button was, was clicked, it used a set timeout JS function to redirect the parent page to a page where I could grab the session token for that user's um, account. Um, there was a place where they had accidentally embedded it in the, in the HTML. And so, um, that now that page loads up, right. And that session mm -hmm. token, this is also another chain of a low of a low impact vulnerability. That session token does not get invalidated when the logout function is called. Um, and so now that, that page is loaded up, it stopped loading and the new tab is now triggering the XSS. Now, because that XSS on the new tab 
is is triggered, um, we're logged out, but there's still a reference using through the window.opener to access the the previous the page that it now has mm -hmm. the session token on it. So I just reached back across using the window.opener um, uh, reference. Since the same origin, we can just modify the body, read the body, went in there with the regex, pulled out the session token, and exfiltrated it to the attacker server. So that's how I proved uh, account takeover on a uh, reflected XSS that was on the logout function. And of course, I assume that session token wasn't being invalidated. Yes, it wasn't. Yeah, oh, yeah. it was not being invalidated. And so um, that that session token, so that's the chain of the low that I mentioned before. Um, that that session token was active, and then the attacker was able to access all the account information, modify the account using that session token. God damn, that's crazy, man. That's awesome. That's a great example. Of just like collecting those bugs and like chaining them together. Um, okay, so for for mine, it's not it's not specific to like any anything I would say, but um, I when you were earlier, you were talking a little bit about like um the more that you program, sort of like the more that you piece stuff together. And I think mm -hmm. that's like a really great like mindset to take to, towards like bug bounty programs in general right because like if you're hacking on something new and i'm experiencing this right now with this target for this event right mm -hmm. like you are gonna like fumble really hard yeah, in the beginning true. right like you you have no idea what you're looking at you're like all these new words domains everything like you have you just gotta like read everything take some time notice some things start to see oh i saw that here oh i saw that here as well and you'll start to tie stuff together and slowly but surely you'll build out like a mental model and that mental map for sort of like what the product is that you're hacking on and then i would say like the other um the other big approach towards like getting good bounties like next to that so like once you have identified sort of like what your target is and like how to work with it is think about from their perspective what the worst thing that could happen is like mm -hmm. what is it customer Absolutely. data is it uh a crash is it whatever right whatever it is like think about it and maybe you can ask them or maybe they put it on their bug bounty page you never know um but like try and think from their perspective what would be like a really bad impact so that you can target those types of things or if you see behavior that leads to those types of things then you can report it and frame it in that way that they'll be like oh yeah this is really this is actually really high impact yeah no i totally agree man and one of the most common mistakes i see with bug bounty, um, you know, people getting started in bug bounty is they'll, you know, do all this research, they'll learn about all the vulnerability types, they'll go through all the steps to learn, you know, what it looks like. And then they'll sit down on a weekend and they'll be like, all right, I'm going to spend four hours, you know, or sometimes even less, right? And then they get to the end of that four hours and it's like, oh, I haven't found anything. Guess I'm not good enough to be a hacker. I need to go back and study more. And then, you know, they go back and study more and they try the process again and you just waste so much time. When when you're con when you know you're consulting and you're uh, attacking web application, normally like the minimum that you spend on a web app is like forty hours. Um, so like, don't be afraid to sit down and spend you know sixteen twenty hours on a on a on a website before you say, all right, maybe I need to go back and reassess what I'm doing because at the end of the day, you know, I definitely don't normally get the results like I did this time. Um, and normally it takes me a couple days before I even start fully understanding the threat model that a, a website has or a company has. And like you said, you know, what kind of things to go after to prove impact to the company. So that's, that's a great tip, Joel. Yeah. And I think to add on to that, like what I'd say is, um, think about it from like when you start a new job, right? 40 hours, that's one week, 
you know, eight hours a day. Think about when you start a new job the first week after the first week, you barely know what you're doing. Even still, yeah. you know, it's like Absolutely. cut yourself some slack. You know what I mean? Cause even people who are like literally being trained to do a job after the first 40 hours are like, uh, wait, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, like no, it's okay. It takes a little bit of time. It's definitely like, you got to get familiar. You got to get your, your, your mind around those different concepts and those, all that different stuff. And once you do though, it'll really pay off in the long yeah. run. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other piece of this is like, there are people whose job it is to actively prevent you from doing your job. So, yeah. you know, the task you're trying to accomplish here is not an easy one. So definitely, like you said, cut yourself some slack. All right. Last bug bounty bite for me is, um, I just wanted to talk about a weird scenario that I saw recently with, uh, refer based CSRF protection. Um, there was a weird, um, a weird configuration where it would allow the request to go through if the domain of the page of the vulnerable domain was in the referrer at all, right? Which normally is, is a classic, you know, that's a classic referrer uh, mistake. Um, mm -hmm. But recently, and recently being within the time I've started security, so it could be three years ago now, I don't remember. But at some point I realized they made a switch where they stopped leaking the referrer to cross-origin pages. They would only show the domain that it came from, not the path. And this was to prevent, you know, leakages of IDs or sensitive tokens and that sort of yep. thing. So I was actually finding it really difficult because, you know, I can't put HTTPS colon slash slash domain dot com slash in just the domain portion of my domain. Uh, and so I was like, ah, how am I going to exploit this? And I came across, um, there's actually a meta tag that you can set meta, um, name equals referrer and then content equals unsafe URL that will instruct the browser to set the, uh, refer, refer to the full path, mm. uh, that you're currently on. So then I just created a couple directories to, um, have that domain actually in the, in the, uh, directory structure, um, of my attack page. And then when I sent the request, it had that full HTTPS colon slash slash domain.com slash in the path and it bypassed the CSRF protections and got me an account takeover via CSRF. Gotcha, so. man. That's really, that's really awesome. So basically you just send them to your page and then force it to send, force the browser to be unsafe and send the yeah. full refer cross origin. Yeah. Very so cool. that that's, that's just another little tidbit. If you need the full refer, use that meta tag. So, all right. I think that's, that's all we've got. Joel's cat is attacking him once again. Yeah, a little menace. <laughs> so I think maybe he needs some love, Joel. We, we ought to sign yeah. off and, and yeah. give him some pets. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, this is a great episode. It was great chatting with you and yeah. uh, we'll talk next week. Likewise. All right. See you everybody. Bye-bye. Peace.